When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby here with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock, and a lot went on today in Berea. Uh, the most notable thing is Deshaun Watson uh, back with the Cleveland Browns practicing for the first time. He rejoined the team on October 10th, uh, but finally able to practice for the first time. Mary Kay, we talked about this in our video they needed this. They needed something, you know, guys were a little muted talking about it beforehand and whatever, but they just needed something after that Dolphins loss to give them a spark. And even though Deshaun can't play, you've got to imagine having him back on the practice field offers some kind of spark for this team. Yeah, I definitely think it's an emotional boost for them, uh, knowing that they have got to win this game to give him something to play for has to be an enormous reminder for them to see him out there practicing with the team, getting ready to return. They want to hand something over to him. And although everyone thinks all is lost already, or most people seem to think that, if they can somehow go into Buffalo and win this game, it flips the script at least for one more week. It keeps them in the conversation. So I think the presence of Deshaun Watson is huge, a huge reminder that all is not lost. Ashley, can there be a can there be that spark, or are we just grasping at straws here, try, trying to find anything we can? I mean, two things can be true at once, right? Like he he might be a spark, but there's also might be grasping in a season that, let's be honest, as well on its way to being a lost season at only three wins. I think we know, given the fact that they have to play the Bills, who yeah they lost the last two, but I think that takes away a big argument that hey maybe this would be a trap game for Buffalo. There's no such thing as a trap game when you've lost your last two and are looking to regain some of that momentum you had from earlier in the first half of the season. Um, But I I do think there is something to the fact of it it does kind of give them something to play for right now. And and their season's not over yet. So they should have still had that anyway. But like Mary Kay said, I think overall, it's just a, a reminder of this thing hasn't looked how anyone thought it was going to look yet. They still don't really know what it's going to look like. I think until Deshaun Watson gets out there and starts playing regular season games. So, Mary Kay, there's another element to this, and that's the Jacoby Brissett element. And not so much the, you know, we've talked about the dividing of reps and all that stuff, but just thinking about it, like, this is kind of it for Jacoby. He's kind of got, like, he's got two games here, and he knows it. This is what he signed up for. He knew this was always going to be the case eventually. And I do wonder if there's something there that the Browns can benefit from, too, because Jacoby... Maybe he's back here as the backup next year. Maybe a starting opportunity becomes available somewhere for him. And he's kind of got two more games left in this audition. Do do you think that kind of factors into maybe how the Browns can perform here going to Buffalo and then also hosting Tampa Bay? 
Yeah, I think so. I think Jacoby Brissett has a lot to prove. I remember the first time I sat down with him for a one-on-one interview before the season, he basically said, you know, I'm not just here, you know, to keep the seat warm. And the point was, you know, I'm here to go out and show that I'm a good quarterback in my own right. And I remember saying to him something about, you know, the phrase starting quarterback. And he kept on saying, I am the starting quarterback. And I, and I was like, well, I know, but I mean, like, and he was like, no, I am the starting quarterback. It was very important for him to be known as that. And, and he would not back down to that. And I do think that uh, this is very vitally important to him. I do think he wants to go out and show that he ha- he brings tremendous value to a football team and that he deserves another chance after this in some way, shape, or form. So, yes, I, I think it's big. Ashley, I looked it up today. This is in almost every category, minus I, I think his rating is maybe a, just slightly lower than it was the year he started in Indy. Almost every category, though, this is Jacoby Brissett's best season as a pro. Yeah, I mean, and he has obviously, I think, had some some decent moments here, right? I mean, obviously, early in the season, he did have problems with those late game interceptions, which very uncharacteristic given his rep, uh, reputation as a game manager coming into this year and, and throughout his career. But I do just think like with Jacoby Brissett, kind of like what, what Mary Kay was saying, that he's a guy who has a sense of urgency that I think not every player has. And like, it's, it's because of his career path and it's because of the fact that he is a backup. Like, you know what I mean? He knows his role. He's very well liked all those things, but I think that's why we see him get so emotional and so hard on himself because he's had to work for these opportunities. He knows how rare they are. I think he knows what's at stake. Like if he, you know, he could potentially be back here next year, but maybe not. Maybe he finds a starting opportunity somewhere, but those opportunities are, are hard to come by. I mean, you know, obviously he built himself or got a nice little extension in Indy, um, but didn't, you know, wind up staying there long-term and and kind of lucked into this and the Browns rebuilding this room. And this is a very unique, I think, stop in his career, but because of everywhere he's been before this, like he knows what the deal is and how important it is to make the most out of these opportunities. Mary Kay, we're going to turn this into the emotions pod real quick. (laughs) What do you think today is like kind of emotionally for Jacoby Brissett? Maybe that's not even a fair thing to talk about, but I I mean, it's, it's gotta be a little weird, right? Like this is the day Deshaun is back on the practice field. Like he's been in the building, he's been in meetings, but this is the day he's back on the practice field. He's a human being. He's got a, it kind of has to hit him a little bit, not in a bad way even, but just a little bit like, oh, this really is getting close. Yeah. I mean, this has been his baby for all of these weeks. He has protected it. He has poured his heart and soul into it. He's done everything he possibly can to try to win games. He's left it all out on the field. He's used his legs. He's used his arm. He's he's used his heart and his soul. I mean, he has... Uh, you know, been a mentor to young guys that are trying to come up the learning curve. He's been a a great friend to, you know, guys like Anthony Walker, one of his best friends who's out for the season. Uh, You know, he's just been there for everyone. He's been almost like the father confessor to a lot of these guys. And so, yeah, it's got to be really, really hard. And he'll still be able to play some of those roles, but it will be different. It will be different when you're not out there, uh, you know, trying to win games for the team. And one of the 
relationships that has developed throughout this time has been Jacoby Brissett and Amari Cooper. And I wrote a little bit about it last week heading into the Miami game, uh, how those guys have gotten really, really close. And, um, you know, they have a text chain that goes back and forth between the two of them. And it's just constant. It's constant about the defensive backs that they're going to be playing coming up and routes and plays. And, and they just go back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, I think that's going to be a little bit hard for both of those guys because they're just so into that. You know, they're two South Florida guys that just, just got real close, real fast to each other. And uh, so there's all kinds of things uh, wrapped up in Jacoby stepping out of the limelight and letting Deshaun come back in uh, that are a factor here. And, and Ashley, I think quarterback is such a weird position because you have to earn it a little bit. And look, Deshaun Watson's going to earn it when he when he shows up. I mean, we know he you know, he plays, he plays hard, he doesn't miss snaps, he, he's tough, he, he checks all those boxes, but... I mean, Jacoby has certainly done what he's needed to do to earn the respect of his team. I, I mean, I can't think of how many times we've seen him down on a knee after a hit or something. And it's like, uh-oh, is it Josh Dobbs' time? And he's right back out there. You know, some of those little intangible things that just as a quarterback, you know, we really praise in these guys. And I think it earns a lot of respect to teammates, too, when, when that guy shows up in the huddle and, and is their leader all year. That I mean, that's that's a difficult transition, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I just keep thinking about how weird this is, like, for him and really for all these guys who who have to develop relationships with Jacoby Brissett, with Deshaun Watson, since they're new to this team this year. Like, just how, how weird and unconventional it is knowing that this was going to end and there was going to be this turnover to Deshaun and handing the team back over to Deshaun and Jacoby goes back to being a backup, which is what he's been for most of his career, like... It is, the more I think about it, you know, I, I don't think Jacoby Reset has played perfectly during these games. I think he's, you know, kind of, we've, we've seen him kind of play slightly above average for Jacoby Brissett, which is fine. I think that's all you can really ask him to do. I don't think they should have been asking him to go out and trying to win games for them necessarily, but he did have to do that uh, just because of some of the problems. But it's just so unconventional to kind of know this change is coming and to have a guy who willingly like accepts that and still kind of, and we've seen it put his all into those intangible things. And I think that's why people have really, you know, grown to love him here because he's done those things. And there's really like not that ego about him. He knows his role. Um, He knows what he needs to do to contribute. So I think that that kind of speaks to how valuable he is in a locker room, especially to me. All right, enough about Jacoby's emotions. Let's talk about our emotions because, buddy, we are stressed when it comes to this road trip on this weekend. There is a ton of snow forecast uh, for this weekend in Buffalo. We're talking feet of snow. It's never good when you have to measure snow in feet. And we know that this can, you know, actually, Mary Kay, our photographer, John Koontz, was reminding me we were down there a few years ago when there were literally, it had been plowed out by the time we got there, but it was literally just feet of snow piled up along the roads and, and all over the place. We're kind of driving into the storm this this week. The Browns, of course, are flying into the storm at some point on Saturday, although Kevin didn't rule out the possibility of their travel plans being affected. I, I guess my question here is, how likely is it right now? And I know, Mary Kay, you reached out to the league earlier. Is is there any chance this game is not played in Buffalo this weekend? 
Yeah, I think there is a chance. Uh, right now, they are monitoring the situation, and they're just going to keep an eye on it as long as they can. It almost seems like, like the worst of the storm could possibly hit maybe like Wednesday and Thursday. And as you mentioned, uh, when we did get to Buffalo that year, they had things, you know, pretty plowed over and, and, you know, you could get there. It wasn't easy and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't fun, but, uh, you know, it could be done. And nobody really wants to have to move the game uh, for so many different reasons. And so I think they will wait to the very last minute to decide what to do. But, um, you know, there is a chance. There is a chance because obviously you don't want to put teams in danger. You don't want to put fans in danger trying to get to the game. And as of right now, I have one quote that I'm putting into to one of my stories where they're talking about, you know, it could be three to six feet of snow. I mean, that's that's the danger zone. And, you know, I've dealt with a lot of bad weather going back and forth to Buffalo. And I remember uh, when the schedule first came out and I saw that the game was in November, I thought, oh, that that should be okay. That should not be a weather game. I figured that it was early enough that we were not going to be having to deal with a blizzard. And here we are having to deal with a blizzard going to Buffalo. So, um, so yes, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And uh, everyone's being really mom about it. I can't, I can't even get anyone to answer me if Ford Field would be the site of the game if it were moved. So uh, everyone's tight-lipped, but the NFL has said that they have been in contact with the Browns, they've been in contact with the Bills, they're monitoring the weather. Does uh, does Byers Field have a playoff game this weekend? Maybe they can just have it at Byers Field. It'll feel like a, a nice little OHSA playoff game there. Ashley, um, I have only half joked that like we might just all be sitting in a hotel lobby watching this game on Sunday. Yeah, uh, this is you see things like travel might be impossible and, and yes. things like that. I guess it's just another element that everyone's going to have to deal with. But I I don't know if the Browns get there and it's snowy and messy. That might actually favor them. Yeah, I was joking. I mean, when Mary Kay earlier said there might be six feet of snow, folks who are listening may not know. I am 5'11". I am almost six feet. As we know, Mary Kay is a football 5'2". I've joked that I can maybe just like put her on my shoulders and we'll just get around Buffalo that way. And I don't need to see the game. As long as Mary Kay sees the game, we're set there. That's most important on our team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, folks, if you're from like Western New York or, or you've been to Buffalo, um, I remember, you know, going to have to play a basketball game there in college. And there was one of these blizzards like this. And we got to like the state line, the Ohio, Pennsylvania state line and got word that 90 was shut down going into New York. Like they wouldn't they, like stuff like that is very possible. And if you've had to go to Buffalo in the fall or winter time, you probably know that. So um, I will say, though, kind of like what Mary Kay was talking about, the good thing in these really like snowy places is is they do kind of know how to deal with the snow, right? It's not like somewhere in the south where if it snows a half an inch, everything is shut down because people literally do not have like the ability to drive and the, you know, governments don't have salt to salt their roads. Um, so that it is something, you know, it's understandable. I think why we're not getting a call on this quite yet, given how early it is in terms of it, you know, only being Wednesday. Mary Kate is if the Browns play this snow game in Buffalo, is, is that almost like, is this another break for them? Are they catching a break getting Buffalo on in a game where it just might be windy and hard to throw the football? 
Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's really, really hard to say uh, because I think, you know, Josh Allen has a pretty big arm and he can he can slice it through some wind and some snow and some weather. So I don't I don't know. You never know how exactly it's going to go. You don't know what the sledding is going to be like to try to run the ball. So um, I think it's just one of those things where you have to head into it and see how it's going to work out. But, you know, it, it should be funny. I mean, Deshaun Watson should be keeping his eye on this football game and probably thanking his lucky stars that his first game back isn't necessarily going to be this game, uh, which uh, in which weather could be an enormous factor. I'm not sure right now who would benefit from a snow game. And just something to keep in mind as, as we talk about possible, you know, possible movement of the game. The Bills play on Thanksgiving um, so you can't really move the game to like Monday. It's got to happen on Sunday. This is interesting, though. They do play at the Lions. They've got the Lions game at twelve thirty. So maybe Buffalo could just go to Detroit and stay there for a few days. A little Thanksgiving in Detroit, isn't that what yeah. we all? To steal a line from Kevin Stefanski today, who was talking about playing a Tuesday night football game once, isn't that what we all dream about? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the uh, the Bills do not want to spend an entire week uh, in Detroit, a holiday week and, and all of that. But, uh, but you know what? I mean, these guys know they've got to roll with the punches and whatever comes comes and everybody just has to be ready to pivot and, and do whatever, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and as you mentioned, you know, even, you know, little old us, you know, we're worried about what's going to happen and how we're going to get there and who's going to drive and, do we need to go earlier or do we need to stay somewhere different? So, uh, you know, if it's like that for us, think about all the fans that are trying to get there. And, and again, it's also leading into the holiday weekend. So, you know, this is just a big travel weekend to begin with. Lots of things to consider for this game. I, I don't envy the, you know, Kevin said it today, the players and the coaches are kind of just tell us where to be and where to be there. I don't envy the logistics people who have to get, you know, a, plane lined up and getting equipment trucks to Buffalo and all that. I certainly don't envy people this week uh, who have to take care of all of that for sure. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for this segment of the podcast. Lance Reisland is coming up after the break. He's going to look back at that Miami game and what he saw in the Browns 39, 17 loss to the dolphins. Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. And now we welcome on Lance Reisland to look back on the Browns loss to the dolphins. Lance, how are you? Good, Dan. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, let's get to it. The Browns just absolutely shellacked in Miami. And I thought it was interesting. And this was one of the first points you brought up. Miami was not a team that necessarily runs the ball a lot. Um, they they were low, low in the league as far as attempts. They're a little higher up now after Sunday. And it's worth noting they haven't had their bye yet. So, so that ups that number just a little as far as their ranking. But they decided, much like the Chargers did, we're going to come out and we're going to attack you on the ground. How surprised were you by that? And what did you see? Well, from the film breakdown I did going into the game, I didn't see any of that. They ran some split zone and some some edge runs, but there was no gap schemes whatsoever. So uh, to see what they did, for me, it tells me that, you know, they had 33 carries for 195 yards and averaged 5.9 per. The thing that was interesting is the fact that they felt the Browns' weakness was better than their strengths. And as a coach, that's kind of disturbing 
um, you know, because they're not running gap schemes. So when they put their game plan in, they're not running like the Browns. They're not running gap schemes since, you know, camp. They, they basically put those gap schemes in this week, repped it a little bit and had great success with it by just practicing two or three days uh, of repping that. So um, that's, that's alarming for the Browns defense and their defensive line that they basically said, you know, we throw the ball, but we feel that we can run the ball and we're going to install these things in a week and, and, and kind of run it right at you. Yeah, I was. Uh, it, it was a very concerning thing, and it did bring me back to that Chargers game when they faced a team with Austin Eckler. I, I mean, the Chargers basically doubled their rushing total that day. Uh, the Dolphins that was their their long their most rushing yardage um, of the season by about the third quarter, and they'd only had like four games over a hundred yards. This is something you know. Before we hit record, we mentioned this. It's, this is something I know you've been talking about going back to training camp, that you noticed the defensive tackle play just just wasn't up to snuff. Well, yeah, you know, it's the style they play. They're athletic guys, but they're guys who like to penetrate. They're like guys that like to get upfield. Uh, they're not two-gap guys. And um, you noticed it because the, the gaps were huge. And like I said, the thing that's alarming as a coach is the fact that that's not what they do. And when you, when you say to yourself, you know, we're going to go away from our strengths because your weaknesses are more than our strength. That's, that's disturbing in terms of like um, how weak it truly is. So, yeah, I just think it's the style. I think they're, you know, they're third down guys, they're pass rush guys, but those early downs taking on double teams, they struggle. Yeah. And, and like, it's week 10. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a team, teams usually are who they are at this point. So for a team to just sort of change who they are, that's, that should be really discouraging. I, I think to this Browns defense. Well, like I said, I had not seen a gap run. I had not seen a guard pull. I had not seen a guard pull. I had not seen down blocks. I had not seen any uh, vertical displacement, guys getting moved. Uh, and that's kind of all you saw uh, on Sunday was them getting off the ball, down blocking, double team, and getting to the next level. And once again, that's something they haven't repped. So they were able to do that with minimal days of practice, which is, uh, which is very alarming. Okay, let's talk about Tua and the Browns' approach with him and, and their inability to create pressure. I was really impressed with Tua watching him live the way he was able to move around in the pocket just really kind of he seems to have a good sense about where he is in the pocket where the rushers are in the pocket I, you know I remember specifically a play where it might have been an incompletion but I just remember watching Tua on the play where Clowney was kind of coming around and it almost looked like he was going to get the bat down right when Tua brought the ball back but Tua just kind of stepped up a little bit and avoided it I was really impressed with his pocket presence in this game and his ability to move and slide. But also the other side of that is you would just like to see this team, especially when Clowney and Garrett are on the field together, you'd like to see them create more pressure. Well, when you have a team like Miami and he does, he's uh, I heard his coach say he's a uh, timing savant, which is a, it's a, it's a great compliment in terms of he understands where the ball is going, uh, what the coverage is and, and what he's seeing in front of him. And he gets rid of the ball so fast. Uh, it's going to be very tough for those outside rushers to get there. I thought maybe the Browns would do more in terms of A and B gap pressure and trying to knock balls down because um, that's where Tua struggles. He struggles with – well, most quarterbacks struggle with that inside pressure. Um, you know, but they had 491 total yards. But the thing that was bad is they had – Browns only had one sack, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. And that, for me, QB hits and QB pressure is, is what gets a quarterback off rhythm more than a sack, more than – uh, different coverages. It's getting knocked down over and over and over. And he didn't, he never got touched. So uh, they never broke his rhythm. Um, and yes, he was very impressive, but in terms of the Browns, they never, they never adjusted in terms of how can we get him off his rhythm and how can we 
uh, not have them go from one progression to the next to the next with no pressure. And that interior pressure, those guys around the edge came around came around the edge pretty good, but he gets rid of the, rid of the ball so fast, those tackles know that. So all they got to do is is widen those guys out a little bit. He steps up and, and he makes a good throw, uh, and he's extremely accurate. And I, I agree with you; he's very he was very impressive on Sunday. And you know when he knows that there's not going to be pressure coming up the middle, that that makes life easier on him too to be able to actually step up in that pocket. Well, that egg B gap pressure is is the killer for a quarterback. That's when you get your eyes down. And they always talk about how do you get a quarterback's eyes down. Well, the outside pressure, you don't really get your eyes down. You don't really see the 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 blindside shots or the blindside shots coming from the front. It's that A and B gap pressure that it, that you see and you have to avoid, um, which he does very well. But the Browns didn't even Browns didn't even get, uh, give that to him. He was just able to step up with a clean pocket, uh, and those receivers are, are too good and all that. But Tua was for me. Tua was the uh, the run game allowed him to be very very accurate, allowed him to be very very good. Um, but he was kind of just the facilitator. He was very good. Uh, Waddle and Hill were very good. But it was that offensive line in that run game that uh, really won that game for the Dolphins. Okay, let's look at the Browns offensively. And I know this is something fans have started to notice. And, and it's been kind of, again, this is just a theme of the season so far, which which is, I think, very discouraging for Browns fans. The early scripted plays have been great. Uh, the first drive of the game was excellent. They got the touchdown to Harrison Bryant. After that, uh, they struggled. They bogged down. And we've seen this before. That Cincinnati game ended up being a little bit of an outlier when they started slow but actually finished really fast. This one was more of what we've seen most of the year. What do you think is happening? Well, you know, I looked at some – I was trying to look at – I looked so I looked at all the games and I looked at those first drives or, more importantly, like the first 10 to 20 plays, usually when those plays are scripted. And against the Jets, the Chargers – I'm sorry, the Jets, the Chargers, and the Ravens, they scored on the first two drives. Against Miami, they had a, uh, a they they scored on the opening drive. Then they had a long drive, but it got cut by a, um, a fumble. Uh, then against the Patriots in Cincinnati, they drove, got a field goal, missed a field goal. Um, the Falcons, um, they had a long drive, but it was stopped on downs. But they still were very successful. Uh, and then Pittsburgh, uh, they didn't score on like you said, they didn't score on the first drive or second drive, but it scored on the third and fourth. And those first and second drives were very very short, so they're probably still on script. And what it tells you is that they're um, they're doing their homework during the week. They're watching film. They're seeing what the other team is doing. Um, but football is a game of adjustments. So once the Browns come out and do what they're doing, the other teams are making their adjustments. And as a coach, it seems like the Browns are not uh, reacting to the adjustments. And that's why they're so successful early on, because they're seeing what they saw all week on film, and they're, they're attacking those things and doing a great job of it. But then once the other team says, okay, this is what the Browns are doing, that's when there seems to be a stall in the Browns' offense. Yeah, and you know, look, that first fifteen is is a great reflection on the play caller and the and the work they put in during the week and and the planning they do. But also, you know, in the, especially in football nowadays, adjustments aren't halftime adjustments are kind of an antiquated thing. It's like we're going to the sideline and we're making adjustments, and you know, these guys are on the tablets and and they're making adjustments on the fly, and it just feels like you were saying maybe that's not happening quickly enough. Well, I think that's a great point. So the the halftime, first of all, the half the NFL halftime is so short. By the time they get in there, they got six. <laughs> by the time they get in there, they get a drink. They sit down. They got six to eight minutes to kind of make their adjustments. But you're right; those guys are coming off. They're all with their position coaches. They're all on tablets, so they're making they're making adjustments right now on what coverages they're seeing, what fronts they're seeing, uh, what adjustments that team made to what they're doing. So they're seeing all that kind of the halftime adjustments of 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Those are all happening 
in real time because of tablets and because of technology. So um, that's where the Browns seem to be really successful, which tells you they're putting in the work. They know what they're going to see, um, but then they're not reacting very well to what the adjustment is. And that's something they're going to have to work on moving forward. Okay, the last thing, just as you're watching that game, actually, you know what? I, w- I want to get your opinion on one other thing. Uh, Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney played a low number, low-ish number of snaps in that game on, on Sunday. Now, some of that was because it was garbage time. You're not going to run those guys out there when the game's essentially over. I, I get that. There were stretches in the third quarter where I know Mary Kay and I were sitting next to each other and saying, what, where is Miles? And he was only rushing on third down. Are you? I, I guess, look, it was hot. The Browns were in the sunny sideline. Are, are you okay with how much the Browns used Garrett and Clowney or – do, do you think they could have used them more in that game and maybe said, Hey, look, it's, we got to win these games. We need you guys to be out there. Well, I think you got to, I mean, if it's, if it's a must win game, I, you know, I heard that a lot last week, you know, for the Browns to go three and six kind of makes you feel like you're out of it. And four and five is a lot different than three and six. And I will tell you that it's a lot different, you know, and talk about, uh, you know, as a high school coach, four and four and six and five and five is a bit, you know, four, it's a lot different when, you know, in terms of that next loss. So yeah, I was shocked that they weren't in there. Um, you know, I don't think the heat was an issue. Uh, those guys are in great shape. Um, I, I would like them to be used a little bit differently. I think, well, let me rephrase that. I think they could have been used a little bit differently. They weren't going to get home with what the uh, Dolphins were doing. The Dolphins were running the ball right at them. And then when they were throwing the ball, they were getting rid of it in under 2.8. And 2.8 has always been like the magical number for me because if you can get a, just a hair protection, you have 2.8 to throw the ball. And they were getting rid of the ball in under 2.8. So I was, you know, maybe getting, maybe moving them inside a little bit would have helped um, in terms of pass rush. But obviously now if you're a defensive end and they're running the ball, now you're taking on double teams and things that you're not used to doing in, uh, as a defensive end. Um, so, yeah, I just think as a whole, um, you don't see a lot of energy out of those guys when they were in. And that was kind of the defensive, you know, that's the thing that was more shocking is that there's not a lot of sense of urgency out of those guys, uh, not just those two, but anybody on defense. And and as you wrote to me in, in the text, your last line, it's okay to be pissed off in football. <laughs> yeah, you know, I it's I've heard you guys say this before, and like I said, I've listened to you guys a lot during the week, and you know the Stefanski comes out, you know, each and every week, and, and I like I've always enjoyed his um, his even keel. I think that's very important um, as a head coach to kind of you're you're the you're you're moving the ship, you're you're steering the ship, and you got to keep everybody on the boat, and it's okay for you to kind of be in control. But the players, some assistants, it's okay to have some um, some issues on the sideline. It's okay to be mad at each other. It's okay to say, oh, my gosh, did you see what's his name yell at the coach and the coach yell back at him? That's all passion. And for me, I think that's something the Browns are lacking. It's okay to be mad. It's okay for Stefanski to get on there and not say we got to be better. Well, I think we all know he's got to be better, and I think it would be um, it would kind of be good for him or his leaders of his team or assistant coaches or somebody to come out. Uh, everybody's we talked about it back with the Philly, uh, you know, the Philly uh, practice. It's okay to be hot and bothered. You guys are out there a whole bunch of time. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of tenacity and a lot of want to in terms when things are going tough. It's easy to coach. It's easy to play when you're winning. Right now they're not winning, and it's okay to be mad, and it's okay to, um, you know, be mad, call somebody out, and then go do something about it. And you just don't see a lot of that out of the Browns right now. Okay, that's Lance Reisland. Of course, he does a lot of our film work on cleveland.com slash Browns. Lance always texts us a bunch of info during the games, too, that uh, stuff that we miss while we're there. Believe it or not, sometimes it is easier to watch the game on TV uh, than to be there. Uh, We also see things, too, uh, that you don't see on TV, but Lance helps us out a lot there. And, of course, 
is on our podcast twice a week, including our preview show on Fridays. Lance, thanks for the time. Dan, thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me, bud. Hey, it's Dan. One last segment here on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. I'm bringing back the playoff committee of one this week. So we'll start in the AFC. Real quick, though, the rules. Uh, I seed all seven playoff teams, college football playoff committee style. I also give you my first team out. My only rule that I have to follow is I do have to pick one team from every single division plus three wildcard teams, but they can be in any order I want. So again, the AFC. Kansas City, 7-2. and two. They're clearly the best team in this conference right now with Buffalo scuffling. My number two, Miami, 7-3. and three. No marquee wins in their current four-game winning streak, but undefeated when Tua plays an entire game, and they did look really impressive on Sunday against the Browns. Number three, Baltimore, 6-3 and three overall. The AFC North is theirs for the taking, and they look like they're finding their stride as they come out of a bye week. Buffalo is number four at six and three, our first wild card. The beauty of this committee, it's partially what I think of a team. And I still believe in this Bills team, much like I just can't quit this number five team. Cincinnati, five and four, another wild card. They did what they had to do after that Monday night stinker. And they're coming off their bye looking to avenge a loss to Pittsburgh with Tennessee. And then, uh uh-oh. Kansas City waiting. A big prove-it week coming up for Cincinnati in a few weeks down the road. My number six, another wild card, the New York Jets, six and three. The committee's being kind to teams who had their buys, and the Jets' most recent win was that stunner over the Bills. They're my number six team. Tennessee is my number seven at six and three. How are they winning? Who cares? Because no one else from the AFC South deserves to get in. My first team out, the LA Chargers at five and four. They're the most frustrating team in football this side of the Cleveland Browns, and they're ravaged by injuries. On the NFC side, oh boy, Philadelphia is still number one, even after that loss. This was a test for the committee. How much do we play a single result? I still think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC, so we're going to keep them number one at eight and one. Minnesota finally got our attention, though. They're number two at eight and one. That was the most impressive win of their season. It vaults them right behind the Eagles, who still maintain that head-to-head win over Minnesota. At number three, look, the NFC is really tough to figure out. Five and four, San Francisco. The NFC stinks, and the 49ers benefit. They're winners of two in a row with Arizona and New Orleans. Next, this is a projection. Dallas, I did punish them a little bit for that loss to Green Bay. They're six and three. They're our first wild card. How much do we punish them? Not a ton. They just dropped to number four. They were previously our number two team. The New York Giants are number five at seven and two, another wildcard team. Wins matter, even if they haven't beaten anyone. Beggars can't be choosers, Giants fans. Seven and two, you're our number five team. At number six, it is Seattle. Six and four overall, they went to Germany and came back to earth, but they get a bye and then a chance to get right against the Raiders, Rams, and Panthers. Tampa Bay, our final team in, just like in the AFC, someone from the South has to make it. So the Bucks, the last team in. First team out, Washington. They've actually won four of their last five games, and they're the only team to beat Philly. Let's keep an eye on the Taylor Heineke-led commanders. There you go, our NFL playoff committee of one. Thanks to Mary Kay and Ashley for joining me earlier. Thanks to Lance Ryslin for his breakdown of the Dolphins. Subscribe to Become a Football Insider. You get that newsletter every single day. You can become one of our text subscribers. And 
you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns is how you can get info and get signed up also make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on apple Podcasts and spotify i'm dan lobby thanks for listening everybody